please let's do like engage in some preliminary conversation so that I can uh, get the level for your microphone. Hello, everybody. Please talk to me and talk to yourselves. And just talk like you're talking on a podcast. Yeah. Daddy's over there. He's getting the sound level set up. He's figuring it out. Gonna talk about when you were born two months ago. And everything that's happened since then. What it's like having a little baby live in your house. Okay, that's good. Thank you. Hello. Boop. Boop a doop. That's the uh, podcast, the intro music. <laughs> now. Boop a doop. Boop a doop. That's the new Life is Sweet theme song. <laughs> no, the new Life is Sweet theme song is a baby crying. But there are no good uh, podcast themes. I've never heard a good podcast intro that I like. Or there's I, very few. Are yeah. there any that you like? I don't. I don't know. I don't listen to as many podcasts as you, I guess. Um, no, not really. I'd say they're generally all bad to hyper annoying, like unlistenably, <laughs> like torturous. Like they're they're assaulting you for some reason for listening to their podcast. I think though my favorite podcast intro is probably the Revolutions podcast intro. It's just like slow cl- classical music. Oh yeah. I don't know which piece it is. I don't know a lot of classical music, but it's really it's really nice. It's a good one. It's probably from the Napoleonic era or something like that. Yeah, I kind of just prefer a cold open. Me too. I very much prefer a cold open. Just who need you don't need music yeah. for a podcast like what you already know what you're listening to. Yeah. You don't need something to uh, annoy the listener right at the right at the beginning. I don't yeah. think we're going to do a, a podcast intro music anymore. I was do it I was adding Something in from the um, the Life is Sweet movie. Right. Um, the Mike Lee movie. Yeah. In the first couple episodes, till I realized there's no point in having an intro. <laughs> but if I were to have a podcast intro, I think it might be... And it's probably been done before. I almost guarantee it's been done before. I think the uh, theme to Gary Linden. Gary Linden. Gary. <laughs> Barry. Barry Gary Linden. Gary. Gary Linden, everyone. <laughs> Uh, noted Stanley Kubrick film, Gary, Gary Linden. Linden. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's just about uh, Gary Linden, a guy from Wawanisa, yeah. uh, making his way to the big city, to Brandon, like if to we, make his fortune. You would have to have a podcast that would match that theme, though. Like, you can't have that theme and then our podcast. <laughs> no. It's like, that theme... And then, all right, here's a baby. <laughs> I don't know about that. Here you go. Another podcast about babies, food, and natural dying. Yeah. You could do it for, uh, like, and then my, as a super contrast, my, uh, my really uh, obsessive and dark and disturbing history podcasts yeah and and political obsessions it's a real uh, it's a real spectrum on yeah the life of sweet channel and now the baby is sleeping i'm laying bets on if she's gonna sleep through this whole thing she might she might if you haven't um 
You probably have realized there's a special guest <laughs> yeah. on our podcast today. It's the first guest we've had on new the podcast. New recurring character. A new recurring, recurring character. I guess the cats were guests. <laughs> but this is the first human guest. Yeah. Uh, she might not say much. Or she might say a lot. Or she might say a lot. Who knows? We'll see. But we have um, a little bit of a different setup today. We have Jill on a condenser microphone. So you might actually hear the baby if they want to... If they want to do some vocalizing, this one's <laughs> more sensitive. It's not the usual microphone that we use. If Jill sounds weird, that's why we're using a different microphone. It's because I've been in hibernation for <laughs> in, in pregnancy, uh, my confinement for uh, four months. Yeah. Uh, also, <laughs> listeners, if, you, um, if you're detecting a lisp, Jill having a lisp, she doesn't have a lisp in real life. Oh. I think... When I'm editing these podcasts, if I'm using this microphone for you, you often sound like you have a lisp. So I'm sorry. I've tried to do the best that I can about it. But I don't listen to them, so that's fine. <laughs> uh, do whatever you want. Oh, that was maybe. If you had a lisp, it would be perfectly fine as well. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, we had this baby. Okay, what are we talking about? We had the baby. Okay, we had the baby. You want to take it, take it from here? Oh, I don't know, I guess. Um, when did you have the baby? What was what was it like having the baby? We What's so, it like having a baby? I feel like, did we do the podcast like right before we ended up having the baby early? Yeah. I think the last one that we did was in August. Yeah. so we were Which is when she was born. We were expecting the baby in September. And uh, so she came in August, about three weeks early. Uh I had gone to a doctor's appointment, and my doctor was like, hey, I'm on vacation for the next two weeks. And then John said that the flooring materials were coming in the next week, and I thought, I... We're doing... We were... That's this project. <laughs> I have to add context. Yeah. Usually, I need a lot of context in life. So, um, we were... Um, we're in the middle of a redoing the floors in our house. Yeah. We well, had just ordered the flooring, and I was going to put them in with my brother was going to help me. Yeah. Like, the week of the baby. Yeah, so my doctor was going on vacation. John was patching up a hole in the baby's room ceiling, and then the flooring was coming in the next week, and I thought, well, I bet this baby will uh, decide to come early next week. And she did. Um, I woke up on Monday, um, and I felt... What I thought were contractions, but I had not had them before, so I thought, well, maybe they're the fake contractions that you get. And after a little while, I what are they called? The uh, the Braxton the Higgs, Higgs boson. Yeah, the Higgs boson contractions. Um, I had not had them before, and so I. Well, you were still asleep. I'd gotten out of bed. I took some Advil and shifted positions. Like you're supposed to, if you have the fake ones. Those are kind of the things that get rid of them. Yeah. We'll be hearing those. Yeah. Those are getting picked up by the mic. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I kind of went back to bed and was like, wow, we'll see if they go away. And uh, they didn't. They just got stronger and uh, came in regular intervals. So I got up, uh, realized that I was leaking some fluid. So we went to the hospital, to women's hospital, and they admitted me. They um, they hook you up to, uh, well, they put you in triage just to make sure you're in labor. And they make sure that your amniotic fluid has, uh, that, you, your, uh, that your water is actually broken. And 
They hook you up to a baby heartbeat and they also hook you up to uh, what I sort of thought was the painometer. Um, they measure your contractions. So as the pain increases, the little green number on the machine increases. Um, and which I don't know if that it wasn't very comforting um, <laughs> to see that. And uh, so yeah, um, I called my mom while I was in triage. They just kind of left you there, uh, leaking amniotic fluid and waiting. Uh, they kind of had to see if they could slot me in for the surgery. It sounded like it was a pretty busy day for them. And uh, called my mom, let her know. Uh, called the midwife, uh, let her know. And um, and then John uh, went home and uh, he, well, he dropped me off, gone home to do some tidying. And then when it was confirmed that I was in labor and they were going to do a C-section, he came back. And uh, yeah, then they told me it'd be a couple of hours, which I was not looking forward to because the contractions were starting to hurt quite a bit. And, uh, but luckily they came down and they started to prep me, sounded like they were able to get me in, uh, or maybe my contractions seemed like they were speeding up and getting closer together and stronger. Uh, the nurses didn't really communicate why I was going into surgery earlier than they said. They didn't say that anything had sped up. They just kind of were like, okay, time to go. Um, they didn't have a wheelchair, which I kind of thought they might. Uh, they, so I had to like barefoot pad my way following a nurse uh, down the hallway up an elevator and to the surgery prep area and um, they got me all kitted out and uh, they got John in his scrubs and his beard cover thing uh, his beard hijab uh, sort of thing um, and then they left him they took me in they got me all hooked up and gave me the spinal, which was an incredible feeling. Uh, loved it. Would 10 out of 10. Would do again if was giving birth. And uh, and then, yeah, got me on the table and they sort of set up like a screen like you see in the movies so that you can't see what's happening because you don't want to look down and be able to see that um, going on. And, uh, and then they just hook you up to like a saline. Um, yeah, so they got me all prepped and... Uh, it was actually, like, um, the nurses were very reassuring, the doctors, everyone was very matter-of-fact. It didn't really, hello, it didn't really feel like an emergency. Um, <laughs> uh, for me, I was just actually, I was happy that I wasn't going to be pregnant any longer. It kind of just felt like, okay, let's get this done. Let's get ready to go. Um, of course, I was thinking about hoping the baby was safe and, and all that stuff, but, uh, uh, I don't know. I had a lot of faith in the in the doctors and nurses. And then, yeah, they said that this was the fifth one they had actually done uh, that day. So they were all warmed up, I assumed, and uh, in the groove. And um, so I just kind of had to push any thoughts about like, oh, is the baby going to be okay? Or just like any thoughts of complications out and just kind of breathe through it. Um, and uh yeah, just kind of waiting for that moment when I would hear the baby cry and I knew it was all, it was finally all good um, and I could turn my brain on a little bit more and not have to work at staying calm uh, quite so hard. So yeah, I um, I could hear the baby, both of us could hear the baby on the other side of the curtain. Uh, John was able to stand up and look at the baby. Uh, they invited him and uh, assured him it wasn't too gross. Um, 
And so he got the first look at the baby fresh out of the oven. And then they got her all cleaned up and wrapped up. And then, yeah, John got to hold the baby. And I kind of had like one arm awkwardly able to like reach out and pet her head um, while they were closing closing me up. Um, but I could like, you can't feel the pain or anything, but you can feel like all the tugging sensations. Like you can feel that you're being, your body is being tugged. Um, like I, I guess at a distance. So like when they were tugging her out, uh, cause she was butt down, um, she was a little more awkward to get out. Uh, so I could kind of feel them like, <clears throat> and like tugging her a little bit back and forth to get her, get her out. And, uh, I think they had like a resident, like a, a learning doctor who was alongside there who hadn't really, um, I think done a C-section this way when the b baby was coming butt first. Um, so I think that was like their first one. Um, and, uh, yeah. And then I got to, I got to see her and, uh, pet her head while John held her. Um, once they had me all sewed back up, um, they took us all into recovery, uh, spent, I don't know, was it like an hour? I can't even remember how long we were in recovery for. Um, and uh, they just make sure that you're not hemorrhaging, the baby's okay. They uh, they give you Tylenol and a leave. You're not really supposed to have uh, anything too much stronger than that um, in your bloodstream. Um, and uh, yeah, so I was in recovery and then... Um, and we were able to, yeah, just John and I, I guess we just kind of, we hung out there and then the nurses showed up every once in a while. They had to like take her blood sugar, um, take both of our vitals, um, all that good stuff. And then once they knew we were all good, uh, we got to move up into a mother and baby room, which is nice because in recovery, there's also like, you can, you can't see them, but there's other women who've delivered, um, and all the ones I was surrounded by sounded like they were having a less good time than I was or had had. I think one had delivered twins. Um, and uh, so it was, it was nice to get into a room of our own. Um, and uh, by that time, I, got, I was holding the baby. I was able to hold the baby. Uh, and so that was very, very nice to get to see her and all of her crazy amount full head of hair and her little chubby cheeks and then yeah they pop you in a mother and baby room um the anesthetic uh the spinal takes a while to wear off so you actually have to like you have to stay in bed you have like a catheter all that stuff um so you're pretty locked down for the first little while uh but I was supper was waiting when I got there and that was really nice because I had not eaten since like the night before um, and I don't think I ate until like five or 6 PM, uh, when we got into the hospital room. Uh, so that was very exciting. Uh, I think it was like a hamburger or something. I can't remember. It was actually pretty good. It was a good meal. Um, and then, yeah, so then we had this baby that you're hearing, uh, making these fun sounds and, uh, it's pretty, pretty spectacular, but also... Yeah, not as, uh, I don't know. So how would you rate your um, C-section experience and your experience at the women's hospital? And then what was what was it like uh, bringing the baby home? Then what were the next steps? Um, C-section, A+, 
great experience. Uh, the doctors did clean work, healed well, all good, quick, efficient, couldn't have asked for more. Uh, women's hospital, um, it, great facilities. Uh, of course, there's the same like staffing challenges that uh, the hospital system as a whole has. Yeah. Um, so you could kind of see that, um, but everyone was doing their best. Uh, the nurses were, were nice, um, and, uh, you know, well-being. You could see that they were stretched, though. Um, they probably had more, more on, more client or more patients than they would, like, you know, than they would have had before the, all the cuts and everything, and before the pandemic. Um, they were definitely seemed like they had to, like they had to move at all times. They weren't just like stopping to chat as much. Yeah, I think it seemed very clear that the ward was understaffed and that the staff that they did have were like stretched to the max. Yeah. If not past the max. Yeah. Um, the nurses and other um, healthcare workers that were like to their credit. Oh, yeah. Like, extremely nice. And Absolutely. Far above and beyond. Yeah. Um, what we could expect while um while knowing that they're already like working above and beyond what they're what a like i i'd say like what a reasonable human capacity like would be like yeah. it's quite clear that they when they're working 12 hour shifts like um you could yeah. see how tired some of the nurses were when they were coming in especially in the middle of the night um cuz with the like they do blood sugar checks and and vital checks like on an every few hours it's not like a daytime schedule or anything like that so um, i think like it is clear that we desperately need more nurses yeah. and healthcare workers it's oh, so for sure. um like that the system in a maternity ward yeah like that's a pretty major one like if if a maternity ward if the cracks are showing in a maternity ward yeah um anything that's not absolutely necessary is going to be even under under more stress. Well, and one of the nurses, um, so one of the things, like if we had any trouble, it was with breastfeeding. Um, so she uh, she's about three weeks early, and they don't always really catch on to breastfeeding if they're early. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, but she just, um, she was too sleepy. She just was not latching, not doing what she needed to do. Um, and, uh, every nurse tried to help, they meant well, but, uh, every one of them had a different method, um, they were in a hurry, so they were manhandling probably a little bit, like, they were really just trying, they were trying to help me get her to latch on, um, but the, um, it was a lot more hurried, uh. Well, they're offering more, like, instructions on the mechanics of yeah. breastfeeding. It was clear that there was no one available who, um could actually like spend time and hang out and give more of the social and emotional sort of support while you're trying to learn this completely new skill with yeah. something that isn't in really uh, often intuitive. Well, and uh, one of the nurses said that uh, before a lot of the major cuts, there had been a breastfeeding consultant specialist on ward and that had been cut so they like you know that's one of the things that was lost in those cuts was the breastfeeding specialist from the maternity ward which is crazy um and so 
the midwife um, visited the next morning and she uh, she got us hooked up with the pump and she had time to kind of be there and, and be comforting. So that was really good. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, it, it felt very, that was, that was the only stressful part was wondering if, um, you know, if she was getting enough food, was she okay, all this stuff. And, um, you know, later on when I went for like a follow-up with my doctor, my doctor was like, oh yeah, they often can't breastfeed until they hit their due date. And it was like, oh, it would have been nice if somebody had told me that, right? Instead, I just felt like, oh, we can't do it. Um, and uh, I kept pushing and getting frustrated. The nurses were not pushing, but trying to, you know, get us going before we were released, um, and uh, which led to more frustration on both sides. And so I just never quite, I never recovered from that. So I did we did kind of get to the point where I could get her to breastfeed like kind of around the time of her due date in September um, when she'd gotten to be about three weeks old. But by that point, I'd gotten used to pumping um, and the pumping schedule. And even though she could breastfeed sometimes, she couldn't do it all the time. And uh, she wasn't getting as much as she needed. She was still hungry after. So it was just like too much of a schmozzle. Um, for me, I just, I didn't feel like it was worth frustrating both of us um, to try to switch to breastfeeding um, and really push it. I did go and see like a breastfeeding consultant, but she was actually a little bit pushy as well. <laughs> what is your experience or what, or uh, I don't know, the vibes you get from about mothers and breastfeeding and the like general consensus about about breastfeeding it seems like breastfeeding is very much 100 percent pushed as uh like you you gotta do it if you're able to do it you just like have to do it yeah. <laughs> and the longer the better and being good at it is very important um i guess what i'm asking is do you have you experienced or do you think there is um a bit of a stigma around or against um mothers who <laughs> do not breastfeed other like either by choice or because like they can't due to i don't know uh they have to go back to work or it's just not working for them and and the baby i don't know do you yeah oh there certainly seems to be um i was kind of realizing when i was uh in <laughs> yes she wants to Talking liz wants you. to get in Talking get in about on this you. um but uh, she has some opinions <laughs> I guess we should also mention the baby's name is Elizabeth. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I definitely do feel... We didn't, name a, we didn't name her after the queen. No, she was <laughs> born before the queen died. Born between, yeah. Complete uh, coincidence. Family names, family names. But of names. course, there, there, can, there, can on, there can be only one. <laughs> but anyway. Um, yeah, I definitely do. Um, I felt like uh, the nurses were reluctant to talk about formula as an option. Um, and they also like, they're almost reluctant to talk about like, um, like they didn't mention the pumps. It was, it was the midwife who had to go get the pump. Uh, it wasn't even mentioned to me as an option, um, which was part of what made me feel like frustrated and a little scared. Uh, like, why? not doing it like what do you do my pump that I have is at home like how do you do this 
Um, and uh, yeah, it definitely felt like breastfeeding was being treated as like, like you got to get this. Um, and uh, eventually the one nurse did... I think she she obviously had been a nurse for quite a while and um she mentioned the formula and and we were like okay yeah bring us the formula we'll just make sure the baby's you know getting something and um and then uh yeah so we so we did that and uh um we were able to make make that choice but it was yeah there was there was a lot of reluctance um mostly cuz it seemed like she maybe thought she wasn't supposed to offer it, um, that they were supposed to encourage you to breastfeed, like, that was the gold standard. Um, and, uh, yeah, just kind of after that, that was the feeling when I went to, um... I will say that, sorry to jump in, but there did seem to be a very, I'd say, like, I don't know, uh, pushy or negative vibes towards, like, the breastfeeding must happen, yeah. Um, and it seemed, I don't know if I was being paranoid, but like, you have to be breastfeeding before we're going to let you go. Yeah. Because the baby has to be of a certain weight or whatever. And, um, and formula wasn't, uh, mentioned as an option until, um, I don't know if you like specifically asked for it yeah. or, um, or it wasn't, it wasn't offered until at least 24 hours. Yeah. I'd say. Yeah. After. And it was Uh, at that point, I was just so worried and that like, there was just... And it felt like a lot of like pressure. Yeah. They're like, they're not giving us the formula. Yeah. uh, And you are being like forced to attempt to breastfeed this, you know, like a little premature baby (laughs) come through a traumatic experience, uh, C-section and all. and, And, you know, like... When she was either, when I was trying to breastfeed, either she was so asleep that I couldn't get her to do anything, or screaming. Those yeah, were the only the two. two settings. <laughs> and uh, I don't think, I don't blame the nurses at all. Like, no. there's, like, clearly um, an expectation for them that they have to go through, they have to, yeah. they're following a program. Yeah. Um, I just don't know what the program is, or where it's coming from, or why it's being interpreted in this yeah. way, you know. And, like... I mean, it just felt bad. Yeah, it didn't feel good. Um, obviously, breastfeeding is, you know, good. You want to do it if you can. Um, but uh, I just felt like there was not a lot of focus on the baby being fed. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, that was my worry. I was like, is nobody worried about making sure this baby has food? Uh, like, I know. <laughs> There's no worry about that now. She's yeah, very, no, she's very, very well she's fed. very fed, and she is milk fed. Oh yes, I don't think we have used formula since we've no, been we back. bought some, but we never used it. But anyway, so I, yeah, um, I, but we were able to come home. Um, the midwife in the hospital helped uh, get us started pumping, and um, so we were able to feed her that, and um, we were both a okay. Uh, checking out to come home. Um, I was very happy to leave the hospital. The room was was good and everything. It was very cold. Uh, they kept it extremely refrigerated in, in the hospital. The room was just, I was just tired of how cold it was and how cold it was, like, was just physically making me tired. Uh, the food was actually good. 
Um, I tried to turn up the thermostat, but it kept on going down. Did not work, yeah. Don't know why. I mean, you could speculate about healthcare cuts. But yeah, it, well, and it was summer, though. It was just, like, over-air-conditioned. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but we were, yeah, so we were discharged. We were all good to go. We um, brought her home in her little car seats. And uh, once we got home, things just, my mom was here, um, just a little more relaxed. Um, I was able to try a little bit more with breastfeeding. Um, the midwives, um, the midwife program, definitely if you're in Manitoba and you're pregnant, I recommend looking into that. Um, I, of course, didn't need a midwife for my delivery, uh, but they do postpartum visits um, at home. So the midwife actually came to the house and did uh, did the checkups, which was awesome. So I didn't have to like haul myself out of um, out of the house to a clinic uh, while I was still, you know, in pain and and moving slowly and all that stuff. Um, she came and then she. Yeah, worked with us a little bit on just some breastfeeding techniques, but also just on like pumping. And um, she was very like positive about everything and all the different options. I found the midwives were definitely the most open. Like, um, you know, if you told them like, oh, I'm just pumping and feeding her, they were like, yeah, that's great. And they also didn't poo-poo formula or anything like that either. Um, I did go see a breastfeeding uh, consultant. And like I said, um, she was, yeah, she was a little pushy. I kind of showed her, like I had just gotten her, the baby to breastfeed successfully. So I, I showed the consultant what I was doing and she was basically like, oh, that's wrong. Um, I was like, oh, that's the thing that just worked. What do you mean? Um, like my technique was wrong. I was like, but the baby breastfed, like, what do you mean? And uh, I guess I was just holding her wrong. Um, People just seem to be, <laughs> there seems to be just a, ve yeah. like an air of just weirdness about breastfeeding. Yeah. I don't know, people aren't normal about it. I know. I my don't mom, know why. My mom don't know was, why. yeah. And it was like, I'd, I'd had success doing it the way my mom told me how to do it. Um, and uh, and I would then, say like people, I mean like uh, professionals yeah, are they, weird about it. Yeah. And if anyone um, knows why, let us know. <laughs> I don't know. And uh, like she also was saying, like, you have to try breastfeeding every time, every time you feed her. And I just didn't acknowledge like how frustrating or traumatic it had been up to that point to try to start breastfeeding. I was like, no, I don't have the energy to try every time because like sometimes she's just upset right away and she just screams the whole time I try to breastfeed her. Like, because yeah, she's hungry. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was like, it that really it disregards like my ability to read the baby's like state of being and be like, oh, she's calm enough. I can try to breastfeed now. Yeah. And it just kind of broke that. I It just broke me for trying. I, I tried a little bit more after that and I did get her to do it successfully. But like I said, at that point, um, how much milk she wanted didn't really line up with her ability to breastfeed. And so she was doing it, but not getting what she actually wanted. In some places, if you're... Um... Like there are mothers groups and breastfeeding groups. Yeah. probably you, you can you can access. I don't know exactly. The same place what we I have, went to but... see the consultant. They had a breastfeeding group, 
And I just, at that point, I was so tired of like outside people commenting on what I was doing or like, I just didn't, I didn't want to talk to anyone about breastfeeding anymore. Like I was over it. Yeah. I was like, I don't want anyone to see me do it. I don't want anyone, <laughs> anyone's <laughs> opinion on it. Like, yeah. And like, I'm, I have at an some opposi- point you're, you, uh, I have an oppositional personality at the best of times. So like, no, you I, don't dear. I had just run out of... Uh, Sorry, pati- yes, you do. Yeah. I agree. I'd run out of patience for that. So, but, like, she, you know, yeah. I would say as well with, like, she is good on the bottle. Oh, yeah. Um, Just another thing, a weird thing about the uh, the formula experience where I did go out to buy formula once. We haven't used it. We haven't needed it. But it's good to have on hand, just in case. Yeah. Um, But um, going out to buy formula is really weird because going to the grocery store... Um, it was either like sold out completely or, um, or at other places, there's like one display can on the shelf with like a, um, detector, right. Um, on it, or it's locked up in a cage Yeah, and it's extremely expensive, like, um, like prohibitively expensive for, um, people with not a lot of money. Yeah. Honestly, it's, and to me, um, I have no problem saying, like, that's insane. Yeah, completely. Uh, and incredibly cruel. I mean, yeah. it, it goes with having, you know, like, cops and security guards in grocery stores. Yeah. Or whatnot. This is, um, like, a step above... <laughs> there's, that's a step above that. Yeah. And that, like, this is a necessary thing that babies... Uh, a lot of babies don't survive yeah. without formula. And uh, the only way to access it is to go to, like, a heavily policed uh, store and pay prohibitive prices and uh, uh, to get it. Like, that it's locked up, it's so expensive, and, um, or, like, not available at all is, like, exceptionally cruel. Like, and it isn't an accident. That's a deliberate choice um, that these stores make to do, but it's, like, a function of having the necessities of life like subject to the whims of the market yeah Uh, so formula should be free oh for sure for everyone i mean just in a sane uh society Mm -hmm. that's just not you know a nightmare of cruelty uh yeah obviously baby formula should be free that's a no-brainer yeah you know you should just be able to go and and get it yeah but I mean, so for, I mean, luckily for us, that was really like the only hiccup, I would say, um, in this process so far. Um, so yeah, we, we brought her home and uh, so I pump um, and that's actually been, it's not ideal, but it's not the worst. Um, I think I'm in a good situation where I don't need to pump like 10 times a day the way that some women do. Um, I'm able to pump like four times a day and yeah, and I get more than enough, um, for what she needs. And, uh, she is, yeah, she's definitely getting what she needs from that. She's growing like a weed and healthy and hearty. She's very, she's a chunk. She's a chunky monkey. She's a solid girl. Everyone comments on how, uh, massive she is. (laughs) She's not that mute, but she's she's gained weight really well. Um, the, she's uh, exceptionally cute. She's the cutest baby I've ever seen, and I'm not just saying that because I'm her dad <laughs> and she looks like me. 
she she's very objectively, cute. by all scientific standards, the cutest baby in the world <laughs> ever that's ever existed. <laughs> I'm not being biased. <laughs> she's very cute. She's got big cheeks, big eyes. Um, so she's all the she's good. But uh, um, your mom stayed with us for like yeah. a week and a half after we got back, which is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, huge help. It's quite clear that like raising a baby, especially like having a newborn around, isn't meant to be like a solitary experience. Yeah, exactly. Um, it is. You're meant to have a lot of people around. Yeah. Uh, to share the load, I can't really imagine um, trying to raise a baby as a like a single parent. Oh. Or yeah. have or even as a like a mother or a primary parent with a partner that's going to work. Yeah. Like having both of us, we are lucky to have both of us here and family in close proximity and people who are very um, uh, excited and involved and want to do, see the baby and do baby stuff. Um, But like, if you don't have that, I can't really imagine how raising a baby would be feasible Um, because it is such a, a drain on your resources it's a 24 7 full-time all the time uh sort of experience yeah so like how's that how would you say like that experiences has been in the last i don't know since the baby's been back to what's the what's it like having a newborn how do you how do you manage it the Uh, first thing is people always talk about exhaustion and being tired and stuff so what's i mean yeah i think both of us i feel like um i've almost had an easier time than you um just because before i had the baby when i was still pregnant i was getting up like five times a night to pee anyways i was not really sleeping um for quite a few months before i gave birth and um i found i was actually getting a little bit more sleep or like a better quality of sleep um especially once my stitches and and uh everything started to heal up a little bit more and it wasn't like as painful mm-hmm. um but uh i don't know i i was you know braced and and ready to watch for signs of depression or anxiety and um any signs of that for me uh no how about your partner <laughs> uh maybe you a little bit more uh <laughs> for that but i have actually found um having a baby that uh, my mental health is better than it has been in years. Um, I think because a lot of my anxiety is really focused on social anxiety and the unknown. And having a baby uh, and being at home is very much, I know what the job is. I know what to expect. um, And uh, I'm not, you know, dealing with crowds of people that I don't know on a daily basis. Um, And so it's, I found it's been easier for me to really stay steady, um, or to feel steady through that. Uh, and, uh, I've, I've just been enjoying it. I mean, this is the first time I haven't been at work, uh, for this long since I was 14. (laughs) Um, so just, it's just been a joy kind of seeing every day how she's a little bit different. And, um, it's also been a joy, as my body heals, um, kind of feeling back to myself, um, because it's been, you know, better part of a year since I, uh, was not pregnant. Um, and so that it feels very good to be not pregnant and to be feeling healed up. And, um, yeah, like I, I don't know, I feel good. I, I, I assume, I, you know, I know there's always tough parts, but, uh, for for me at least um 
it's very much suiting. Uh, kind of where, I don't know, feels very natural, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's been a bit of a different experience for me, as in, um, I'm happy that the baby's here. Um, I'm She's very cute, I'm in love with her, and I don't really want to do anything else with my life or time at the moment, but uh, be around and spend time with her and do all the baby stuff. Mm-hmm. That's uh, absolutely what I want to do, but like at the same time, um, it has been extremely difficult for me i'm a person who uh, transitions are always very difficult for me and this is a uh, this is the biggest transition that i've experienced in in my life so far Uh, not counting my own birth i suppose (laughs) which i I don't think i've really gotten over that but (laughs) but this i mean in all in all seriousness like i think i understand how as much as as much as i can like how postpartum depression and anxiety works um it is a very it can be a a very jarring uh experience and especially if um you like your if you're a routine focused person or someone who needs a lot of like built-in routine in their own lives to to uh, thrive as i do um then having a baby um throws all your previous routines out the window and establishes new ones which is also good um but that transition period can be very difficult and i imagine if you again if you're a single mother or um like a younger family i don't know for a lot of people that would be uh, very very difficult to navigate um you don't get a lot of sleep obviously your day night cycle gets thrown out of whack um i think for you more than me that has happened just the way that um, that has happened but like something like by by choice like i want to do the night feedings so that jill can sleep as much as possible and uh that's one of the luxuries of having a bottle fed baby yeah um is that both of us can do feeds and changes so that like um if one of us really needs uh, a long block of sleep that they can do it. Yeah. Um, and if someone needs a break, if someone needs to go, if someone needs to go out, run some errands or see some friends or whatever, um, the other one could stay at home with the baby. Yeah. So there's a lot of, we're, um, we have it pretty good. Oh yeah. And also sure. um, like to add another factor onto that, you also um, have like, a, you have like a full year of mat leave. Yeah. that is paid for so our bills are paid throughout this entire process yeah um if someone didn't have that type of those types of benefits or had to go back to work or even like working from home that would um that would throw that would make it a lot more difficult yeah exactly so if you're that would lead to that would add factors yeah exactly add factors into experiencing depression very yeah we're in a very good a good place um we're very fortunate um in how we're set up to do this and that's part of why we waited so long um to have a baby i think if if those factors weren't important to us we would have had one you know years ago um when we were a little bit younger but um yeah so um 100 percent i think uh people need to realize like how much like economics is playing into the, yeah. the family situation right now at the moment uh, the more you can talk about that the better i think that's why we talk about that so much yeah on this podcast yeah and we're, it's not to be like 
hey, look at us, look at how poor we are or anything. It's just like, there's everyone that I know is in some sort of situation, some sort of uh, uh, financial hardship in one way, shape or form. And it's like, the, you got to talk about it. Yeah. Because um, it's, uh, it's a real, it's real. It's yeah. not just, it's not just us. It's not just you. It's, yeah. it's every, it's everyone. So I think um, another thing that I was kind of surprised about was um, like I am able to actually like go to sleep in between <laughs> the feedings as long as she's um, conking out and she's doing that more and more as she kind of gains weight. I think that's where you and I are a little bit different like um, where I I get a shorter block of sleep at night. Um, I kind of take like so John lets me sleep. And I usually sleep from like 10 or 11 to like 4 or 5. Um, and when you pump, you can't really go longer than that without waking up in a puddle of your own breast milk um, or experiencing pain. Um, and uh, and then after that, um, he goes to bed and I, um, I'm out here with the baby. But um, I'm actually able to, uh, in between feeds, most of the time, not, not every time, but um, if I need sleep, I, I'm able to sleep when she's sleeping. Uh, I definitely wake up as soon as she makes a noise or stirs or anything like that, but I'm able to sort of like kind of come in and out. Of... I'm not able to do that. Yeah, John's it takes me not a lot longer to, to fall asleep and wake up. So. Yeah, so he's kind of taking a bigger, really, yeah. a bigger hit, even though he gets um, like a maybe a longer block of sleep in the morning. He is taking sort of the bigger hit in that he has to. It's almost like he is working a night shift. In that he's then having to sleep during daylight hours. Yeah, which is again like something that I'm used to. I've I've worked in like direct care roles yeah. my entire adult life, so that includes like I've done my fair sh share of uh, awake night shifts. Yeah. So like this is nothing new to me. It's a little different because I'm like I'm 41 now. I'm not like yeah. <laughs> when I started doing it in my 20s and like night shifts would just like bounce off of me yeah it's a little bit more uh <laughs> it's draining on the resources like mm -hmm. i need that sunlight and vitamin yeah. d is a lot more important for me now yeah um but also so that is difficult like i don't feel myself i don't yeah. feel natural like i am on the night shift yeah and that does take a toll if you're doing it for a prolonged period of time yeah at the same time i know this is just temporary yeah and this she's two months in now um at any point starting now up until like three months or whatever um she's gonna start sleeping longer and longer during the night yeah uh, until her uh, her sleep wake cycle starts kicking in yeah um, exactly for real and that won't be too long so no. in the grand scheme of things like i'm happy to it i mean i'm not like i'm happy to make this personal sacrifice at the same time like jill is also like parents make sacrifices for their children it's just a thing and it's not it's not a big deal like we're happy to do it yeah um it's mostly happy i'm just trying to stay uh i'm trying to stay as positive as possible yeah but like i would be um i would be remiss not to mention that like it is difficult to stay that way yeah and that's i think like of quite a universal new parent sort oh, of experience yeah. Um, like any of the Instagram parents that you see or that, um, I don't know, people portray online, it's really easy to get a, to get, I think, uh, a, a like skewed view of what parenthood is. Yeah. It's either like, 
all sunshine and rainbows or it is some sort of like horrific nightmare yeah (laughs) where the reality is like you know it's in between yeah (laughs) it's just life stuff yeah it's just like everything else um there's sacrifices and rewards and i would also say like she's a pretty chill baby overall we are very lucky in that like she was not last night (laughs) for john (laughs) no she was not um she but that that's rare um i've only known her to maybe have two or three like screamy nights since she's been born um so that's you know that's very lucky as well because if you've got a baby who's maybe a little smaller or fussier um that's you know, that's really draining when you have a baby who cries all the time and you don't know why. Um, it's very disheartening and it's it's hard to keep your spirits up when you're dealing with that. So Yeah, especially if you're alone yeah. on the night shift and it's just you. Exactly. And it's like, what what are you going to do? Yeah. Like, you, you got to, I don't know, there's nothing to figure out even. It's just like, like you have to be, you just have to be present for this like little person who's trying to figure out what, the hell is happening to them <laughs> yeah basically and they're trying to exp- this is the only tool that they have to to express everything is crying yeah so that's i don't know it's very uh it can feel very daunting but it's also like very kind of mysterious <laughs> and special yeah dare i say a little sacred <laughs> to have that kind of role yeah but uh, usually, uh, if she's crying, it's ninety-five percent of the time it's gas. So it's oh, yeah. pretty easy to figure out. Yeah, it's gas. Or more recently, I grabbed a chunk of my own hair, but I don't know that I did it because I don't understand how hands work, and I'm pulling my own hair out of my scalp. Yeah, uh, that, that's a new one. That's a new one. Um, but yeah, there's usually a very identifiable uh, cause for the most part. So yeah, we're lucky in, in that way. Um, we're able to, you know, we've been able to take her out, to go out with her. Um, she likes very, car rides. Yeah, she's very easygoing. She likes going for walks in the snuggly. Yeah. Um, she likes generally she likes like the stroller. The stroller. Yeah. She likes just hanging out. Yeah. It's her favorite thing is just to, uh, to hang out with, hang out with mommy. And dad. I don't know. She likes you better, I think. No, you just think that because she cried last night. But she <laughs> likes both of us. I'm still... See? She's screaming at me because I didn't put her sucky in fast enough. <laughs> she likes car rides. She likes sucky. She likes uh, She likes milk. Mm-hmm. These are the things baby she likes. She likes asl- being asleep. Yeah. She likes farting. <laughs> yeah. Loves that. Yep. Um, but yeah, no, it's been good so far. She's, you know, she's more, um, as we're coming up to two months, she's getting more aware. She's starting to smile. She's starting to mimic. Um, she's starting to, uh, take swings and be a little more specific with the directions of her hands, um, and her body movements. So we're getting a little, a little more baby-like, a little bit out of the newborn phase. It's also like a little, like, reassuring to have some... To have some like knowledge of what to expect as the baby develops. Yeah. Um, if you're a parent who's going in blind, I don't know. That's going to be really difficult. Uh, we're also a little, again, like a little older. Yeah. And exactly. Uh, this is our first baby, but uh, <laughs> we're both the eldest children. Yeah. So we have younger siblings. Like I've seen this done. Yeah. Uh, a lot of a lot of younger cousins and all that stuff. And again. Um, yeah, is there any uh, any recommendations on uh, what where to get uh, 
what, what's some good info new parent info what's been the most helpful for you uh, videos mean, books i mean uh, i read some of the wonder weeks which some people like and some people don't um i, mean, I have mixed feelings about it. yeah i mean my recommendation with any of these baby books or baby articles or anything is um you know take the spirit rather than the letter of the things yeah absolutely um just sort of you yeah like with the wonder weeks i think what people don't like is some people are looking to just have one book or one thing to tell them how to live right they don't they don't want they don't want to hybridize they don't want to synthesize information they just want the one thing that the, the key that explains it all and um your baby might adhere to the milestones in the Wonder Weeks, but they might not. Um, and so some people have a problem with that. And, um, you know, it's you can't say for sure what a baby is experiencing. Um, you can only make educated guests about about some things. So, yeah, the Wonder Weeks... Um, the Wonder Weeks is good for information about brain development, especially, like, you know, what's your baby what's developing in their brain at this point, you know, what milestones to look out for. So that was kind of good. Oh, we got some gas here. Yeah. I think uh, one of the things with the, with the books and the literature and the videos and stuff you can watch about babies, especially like, um, we were watching something last night. Oh yeah. These babies, <laughs> these baby scientists, they're very cute. Like they're yeah. like the way that they describe like baby development and why parents and babies and stuff are the way that they are um just like they're <laughs> uh like they're uh scientifically like retro engineering getting back to this very obvious <laughs> social things like yeah the science behind like why your baby is cute or there's this chemical called oxytocin that yeah makes you feel like you're bonding with the babies so that's why it's important to uh hold your baby yeah, and uh, make eye contact with your baby and smile well, with your baby. It's sounds... like every hu every human being from the dawn of time will it... do this stuff. So I it's think so, like... but you do have to keep in context. Like I will, I'll play devil's advocate here. Is yes, that, please do. Um, even though a lot of this stuff feels very obvious, um, but you have to remember the amount of damage that I think was done, but especially in like the fifties and sixties, um, by uh, a lot of baby experts birth mothering experts see i don't know parenting any, experts any who stuff. i was probably um, raised <laughs> like behaviorists like if you, really? you think about like skinner right and and about like positive and negative reinforcement a lot of that was um integrated into advice to new parents but specifically mothers and a lot of it was sort of men telling women how to be mothers and but what they were doing what, wrong what it seems like though is then that seems like giving like clearly non-intuitive yeah. uh, advice. I would go. You'd be telling mothers or parents to do the the opposite of what their instincts would. Well, be. that's why that's what Doctor Spock Which is. is, is Doctor Spock of, was. I don't, um, I don't know. Doctor yeah. Spock was kind of like revolutionary or, or whatever it was um, because he said that mothers should trust their instincts. He kind of went against the decades of advice and um, what scientists had been saying about uh, development. And he said that, you know, you should, mothers should trust their instincts. Um, the baby will tell you what it needs. And that, like, that Is was that a Dr. Game. Spock? Because I have a mm -hmm. question. I don't mean to start an argument. <laughs> but I think, I, 
I don't know where it was. It could have been on Twitter. All my information sources are unreliable. So that's why I bounce everything off uh, people that I'm around. But uh, was Dr. Spock the guy that said, if your baby's crying, you got to leave them. You got to let them cry uh, so, that they, so. so that they learn how to self-soothe. Um, I don't know if that's Dr. Spock. That doesn't sound like a very Dr. Spock sort of thing. Um, and then, I mean, there's the Dr. Spock thing, which was more the generation before us and maybe well, a little bit how had, we were raised. Yeah, my mom had everyone Dr. had a Spock. Dr. Spock book. Yeah. And then you have, like, the attachment parenting being a response to the Dr. Spock stuff. No, I, I think it's... Know. I think I don't attachment, even really want to know about this attachment stuff. Attachment really comes out of Dr. Spock. Oh, like, okay. it follows. Um, no, I, I don't know. I Again, I'm not an expert, but I don't think that, like... Leave your baby is Dr. Spock. Okay. I think that's what he was sort of against, but I could be corrected. I'm not advocating for leave your baby, by the way. No, I think that sounds not. very like that's one of the counterintuitive things that would make yeah. that. It's not how your brain It's not is how wired. your instinct works, at least not for me. Like, I'm extreme. I'm pretty sensitive to noise anyway. Like, yeah. it just. Uh, if the baby is crying, like, I have to rectify that situation yeah. immediately. Yeah. Like, for myself. Yeah. Well, and it just sort of... Um... I'm not going to self-soothe if the baby's crying. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I I don't know. I Also, I have, like, a what to expect in the first year book. That's more like... It's more like a general reference book. Um, it has, like, just information about a lot of different things you can look up in the index if you're wondering about like diaper rash or anything like that you can just kind of look up and then it has like the month by month milestones and stuff like that um oh she's fussing uh before liz was born the uh, midwife video series that we watched on youtube yeah i thought was very good yeah i should probably put a link to that if anyone's curious because i think that was just loads of great info yeah it was a retired midwife and it was just three like very low it was just like camcorder video of her parenting class basically prenatal classes and um it there was like one on prenatal one on delivery and then one on postpartum uh super handy oh yeah we knocked out our and like incredibly practical um talking very like candidly about the mechanics of childbirth yeah. and what happens um, during step by step during the labor process mm-hmm. and directly after birth. <laughs> didn't need that one. No, uh, didn't didn't need that one. But it was really handy to know mm-hmm. because, like for for me, I've never heard that stuff discussed before. Yeah, I literally haven't. I'm a forty year old man. No yeah. one has ever. I've never been around a conversation. Uh, where people are talking about labor, birth, and immediately afterwards. Mm-hmm. Nope, has not happened. It was only it's only been hearsay in movies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, whatever, like nothing. So you know, maybe women get more of that, but you get some. But some of that was new to me. Yeah, uh, but that's extremely necessary information. So it's good to have like the veil pulled back a little bit. Yeah, some of that stuff. But then after that, like. I'm not really too like concerned or, or married to like different types of different parenting styles or anything. No. Like I don't I don't have babies generally. I have one baby. <laughs> like I just need to learn that one. Yeah. Right. Um yeah, so I'm not like 
uh, a lot of the Instagram parenting or like baby vlogs, a lot of those are like rich white ladies. Um, and uh, they can be whew, a little misleading, especially if they are people who are trying to build a brand um, in order to sell merchandise, which a lot of them are. And uh, I mean, anyone who's trying to build a brand and sells to sell merchandise is going to be misleading. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. You can try to be as ethical as you want, but you're going to be misleading. Yeah. So you're in this. You're trying to sell something. You. Yeah. So it's it's kind of like a scene that I'm not super interested in getting deep into. Um, I think when it comes to online, I've mostly just stuck to like when I have a specific wondering, Googling it, and then like looking at the more like medicine based or like organization, like nonprofit based um, information, like web pages or places where they, they've questions have been asked like a lot of hospitals like maternity wards um the nhs in england has a very comprehensive like you know uh what to do when this happens or things like that so a lot of like i'll just you know a thought will pop into my head like what do i do uh oh the baby has a, a gooby eye what do i do what does that mean um and so i'll tend to do like more just like either like random thought Googling or specific issue Googling. Um, I think too, as my like training as a teacher and I've taught family studies and things like that, um, I've read, you know, stuff about different styles. Um, I've also just sort of seen, you know, not the end result, but like I've had a lot of opportunity to compare parenting styles based on the children I teach in my classroom. And a lot of parents don't want to think that their parenting style is so apparent um, to teachers, but it really is. Um, you can tell pretty quickly uh, what sort of parenting style um, a kid is coming in with. And so I've just sort of, you know, had enough opportunity to see... Um, and that doesn't mean I'm going to make no mistakes because I've also taught a lot of teachers kids, um, who have their own issues and things like that. So I don't know. I just kind of like have a more like, I'm going to talk to my mom and, uh, be responsive to the kid. <laughs> I don't know. I, I haven't done any, like, I have not become like an adherent to any specific, uh, guru or, uh, lifestyle um guide for me like the best information i've got from about like being a parent is to is talking to other parents yeah like exactly if you know other parents they that's gonna be the best way like to have one-on-one -on -one conversations with other people that you trust yeah um that's always gonna be the best a book isn't gonna replace that no. googling something isn't gonna replace that uh, learning a specific parenting style or yeah. re you know science reading scientific journals nobody does that but like that's not gonna that's not going to replace you know talking to the parents that are around you so like i th honestly i think the best thing for new parents to do is like is to try to like be around other parents as much as possible sorry the baby which <laughs> the baby has baby business as she always does. Uh, just but like, I'm... I mean, we're lucky to be 
honest, to be a little older, to have um, a lot of other parents around us that we can bounce, uh, we can bounce stuff off, yeah, off of, and mothers and whatever, yeah, having parents and family, exactly. I mean, it's just like really, really apparent that like uh, raising a child is a social endeavor. It's not a, it's not one parent, one child. It's uh, this whole thing is a. Uh, Where are we going? Where are we going? A child, a child is a social enterprise. <laughs> oh, you're gonna listen to a burp. Maybe, hopefully. We're getting okay. the pats. We're getting the burp pats. <laughs> but yeah, with, with anything, I mean, oh. I think it's important for me and probably like for new parents to um, to attempt to not be as as isolated as possible. Yeah, I think that's probably like the main thing. Oh, for sure. Yeah, like the more connected you are to your peers and your community around you, the mm-hmm. uh, the better you're going to feel. Yeah, the more good advice you're going to get. Yeah, uh, the more supported you're you're going to be. Um, mm-hmm. Establishing those like. Uh, relationships of mutual care yeah exactly better than a book mm-hmm. is there anything else that we uh want to touch on i don't think so we're at an hour and a quarter it is october any uh spooky season uh stuff quickly we're not gonna do another october episode no i mean uh she the baby is wearing a halloween shirt uh today that's about it um i'm i'm asking because i know your favorite uh holiday is halloween i do enjoy so. halloween um i feel like i'm not getting as into decorating this year just because we're still sort of figuring out the house stuff um and next year uh the baby will actually be able to like see the lights and all the stuff we'll carve a pumpkin and hand out candy and all that stuff um but uh like not gonna go trick-or-treating i did buy her a few costumes from um the thrift store but that's more like a photo op kind of thing uh i'm not even sure we'll see if she fits them they're pretty big (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh i got a pumpkin and a ladybug so we'll see oh boy we're wiggling we're wiggling we're squiggling um Uh, wiggling and squiggling are we hungry uh any quick uh Halloween movie recommendations? I, mean, I know we talked a lot about those last year, or last year's October episode. Yeah, we. I haven't. We Anything haven't watched new? any. Like we've been watching. Um, Criterion has like a eighties horror movie uh, list, so we've watched a few off of there. Um, none of them, I would say, are bangers. Uh, not really. Like just you know, entertaining watches, but nothing, nothing uh, stand out. Um, I had not seen the original Halloween, so we watched that. Absolute classic. Uh, great movie. I think I've liked every John Carpenter movie oh, I've ever seen. Yeah, absolutely. Never been a huge John Carpenter head, but you realize like how many movies he has that yeah. are absolutely rocking. Absolutely, yeah. So... I'd put Halloween up there. Mm-hmm. And you notice like with some of these early horror movies, they're not really like horror movies. They're thriller movies with like... Um, like Halloween is more like a thriller with... With a Halloween theme attached to it. Oh boy, we're, we're Seeing excited. The uh, the evolution of the genre through the ages is kind of interesting. One thing you can rely on for John Carpenter movies is a killer soundtrack. Absolutely, yeah. It's always going to have 
A good soundtrack. Uh, the Thing is also good. Yeah. John Carpenter. We haven't seen The Fog or The Mist or whatever it was. The Fog. The, the, fog. the Mist is different. That's the Stephen mist is King. Different. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen that one. It's been ages. Yeah. Maybe we'll watch The Fog. Um, I don't know. Other the Fog ones is that also I've... Jamie Lee Curtis. Is it? I think so. Interesting. Ooh. Uh, we watched Witchfinder General. I fell asleep. Yeah, it wasn't uh, that exciting. Not that exciting. What else did we see? Near Dark. Near Dark, I don't even remember that one. Nah. What was that? Uh, that was the vampire gang one. Uh, the only, oh, yeah. The only yeah. good part was like Bill Paxton. Uh, it had a bunch of the people from um, Aliens because it was filmed or it was directed by uh, Steven Spielberg's then girlfriend, mm-hmm. wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Um, it had uh, three of the people from Aliens in it who were, you know, excellent, but it, it wasn't a very good script. Um, well, and Alien 1, Alien 2, still probably like the best movies oh, yeah. about parenting. <laughs> yeah, we recently rewatched I know I've those. used that joke before, but they really truly are. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. We'll probably watch a few more. Um, I, you know, I like some of my family-friendly classics like Practical Magic and uh, Hocus Pocus. Um mm-hmm. I think we might do... I mean, I like the classics, too. We haven't watched The Shining yet, which we usually oh, yeah. always do. Yeah, we usually do The Shining. Um, big fave. Yeah. Also, I'd like to get around to watching... What are my... I mean, I don't mean... Uh, I guess, like, my list would include, like, The Shining, the original Wicker Man. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Witch and Mandy. I feel like we should rewatch The Witch. I think so, too. Yeah, I think that There's nothing quite... Me. There quite like it yeah i saw it that was just like stunning it floored me yeah uh yeah in the way kind of the same way that mandy did but much much different yeah uh you can't really compare them but no the witch is very stellar yeah um what else i i mean this is also like obscure but it's kind of a little bit halloween related um the movie uh the last valley with Michael Caine and Is that Omar Sharif, related? they there are witches oh. in it, and there's religious. Uh, this baby stuff. is freaking out. It's not Halloween related, but there is like there's some there's witches. That's it. I didn't mention it just because it was Halloween. Just as like one that I watched and enjoyed. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, we might try Lair of the White Worm. Yeah, there's some more silly 80s movies uh, we may just put on just for fun. <laughs> we haven't watched Rocky Horror yet. Oh, yeah. That's a classic Halloween Halloween watch. Absolutely. <gasps> yeah. We went and saw that one in the theater last year. Yeah, we probably won't do it this year, though. No. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think that's it. That's Is that about it? it? Anything else? I think that's about it. All right, folks, thanks for listening. Thanks for um, listening to our uh, How Liz Got Here story. Yeah. Uh, At some point, Liz is going to be old enough, and she's going to listen to this podcast (laughs) at some point. Uh, She'll be well familiar with the story by before then. Oh, yes. And have a good rest of your October. Enjoy your Halloween, and we'll probably see you next month. Yeah. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.